get ready for Vancouver's premier real estate podcast. Your source for buying, selling, and investing in Vancouver's real estate market. With your hosts, two guys with faces for radio, Adam and Matt Scalina. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And today we have an amazing show for you today. Was that really your (laughs) intro? What the hell was that? <laughs> and we've got Aniz Aziz. Uh, from, the, <laughs> from the Aziz group. From the Aziz group. That, oh, well. that really is our intro. Uh, What's with right. the faces for radio? I yeah. mean, you don't like, like that? I, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Hey, hey, you know I don't pull any punches. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we got Aniz with us today, and uh, we're, we've got a great, great show. Yeah, we always a, do. A fantastic yeah. show. And... Uh, Speaking of faces for radio, we got a great <laughs> review. We did. Kevin, okay, so Kevin Farkless, if that is your real name, you mentioned that you thought both of us were terrific, especially the cute one. Yeah. And, uh, Why actually, do you have to you hate heard, Matt? I was just going to say, Adam's wow. feelings are terribly hurt. Also, <laughs> okay, so we got a great show for you today. We've got Dustin Woodhouse, an amazing mortgage broker with Dominion Lending. But first, we wanted to talk about this article that came out on moneysense.ca uh, by Romana King and Mark Brown, uh, which was published just a couple of days ago, March 9th, 20, 2016. Yeah, and basically the, the thrust of the article is in the, the lower mainland, prices are out of control. A lot of people are worried about prices declining, some sort of correction happening, and they're looking at certain neighborhoods that are good value. So, yeah. so in other words, they, they, what they did is they took the top 200 neighborhoods that offer future appreciations in terms of capital appreciation, and um, all the areas that they looked at were priced above $1 million, and they're, they're looking at kind of trying to figure out the top five areas that still offer good value, and they were all on average about 14% cheaper than other surrounding communities. So we wanted to kind of talk about some of the different areas. The and we have uh, Aniz Aziz from the Aziz group with us today. Who uh, resident happy, expert. Resident expert as well. Wait, we're, the, we're the resident experts. Hold yeah. on a second. Hey. Uh, no, I'm happy to help them. This, this is going to be a good review. These top five neighborhoods are... I pretty much agree with all five of these neighborhoods. I do too. Yeah. And, and you know what's so funny is uh, I, I had somebody send this article to me the other day and I, I was saying, you know what? I've been saying this for years. These are undervalued areas. It's clear. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so these are typically... Are, so I want to clarify for the people at home. Are we looking at condos? Are we looking at, at uh, townhomes? Are we looking they're, at... They're single family homes. I mean, every, every one of these top five areas, they're talking about properties over $1 million. Well, if they're talking one, about stuff over a $1 million, yeah. I'm sure there's condos that would fall into that and townhomes that would fall but into the thrust, that. But the, the thrust, thrust will yeah. be town. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that actually makes sense because when we're talking about uh, some of these areas, and I don't want to spoil them, but... Uh, we're, we are talking about largely single-family detached areas. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so why don't we start with the top? So number five, and it's drumroll, drumroll. So we are actually uh, coming live from this area, yeah, from this area, <laughs> and undisclosed I, location. Undisclosed <laughs> location in Renfrew, Vancouver East. Great area. 
Uh, the thing about Renfrew is that it's gone overlooked for I think many years, yeah. and it's uh, it's kind of because it's the it's the last area where it's it's the outer skirts of Vancouver proper, right? It's the last area before Boundary. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago, you know, everyone was looking around Commercial Drive. Uh, Grandview was really uh, seen as the up and coming neighborhood, and Renfrew yep. was still. A uh, little further east, and little now further it east is. Some people wanted to go. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, to give you an idea, we had a listing. Adam and I had a listing last week in Renfrew, and there was seventeen offers. The open houses, it was like a zoo. It was and like it, a zoo, and it sold well, well, well over, over well over asking. Yeah. Seventeen offers seems like a lot to handle. It was actually. Yeah. You know what? I was. Absolutely. I made a well, joke it sold to another five hundred thousand over asking. Yeah, That's over over five hundred thousand over. Asking. It was. It was an incredible. It was an incredible experience. The I I was looking at the offers as it came in. I said to another agent, I think I lost five years off my life. It was a, stre- <laughs> it was a stressful, <laughs> stressful <laughs> day or two. But but the one thing one thing that I will say is the seller was exceedingly happy. That's yes, for sure. That's super yeah. good. Yeah. And it, so the other thing I'll say just quickly about Renfrew is that. Hastings East, which is on the north side of of Hastings, has always been a little bit more expensive and a bit more enticing for for buyers. Um, so being on that north side between, say, Nanaimo and Renfrew, whereas if you're on the south side, it's it's it, it was always kind of considered a little bit lower value. Right. So that actually kind of makes sense because when you think about the north side of Hastings. We're now sitting where its benchmark price is likely around 1.5 range. Where in Renfrew, you can still get a decent house for one, two, one, three. Yeah, the there. average home price here, which strikes me uh, slightly low, but uh, the market's moving quick, is 1.145 in Renfrew. That does seem a little low, and it yeah. seems like there's still pockets in Vancouver that you could still get good value in yeah, without right. getting to that you know crazy two million dollar. Like if you're going on Maine or even Fraser now, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, so for the extra five minute drive, yeah, exactly, and the sense. potential, and the potential, I think is is, is the, also the potential upswing for sure. Yeah. Hastings, Amazing. the Hastings corridor is starting to feel more like Main Street uh, every every month. So. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. The realtor grade here in Money Sense, not our realtor grade, but the realtor grade, three and a half out of five. I think that's a little low. Yeah. I would have given it at least a four. Yeah, I would have thought <laughs> four too. <laughs> yeah, it just seems four. like an arbitrary uh, <laughs> scale, but yeah. number four comes from, uh, even though we are a Vancouver real estate podcast, we're coming just east from Burnaby. Well, in the very, very, and very similar though, right? Vancouver Heights and Burnaby. Yeah. Yeah. Vancouver Heights. So I mean, very similar to Renfrew. Very, very similar. And basically, I think that's, that's, Further to my point about Hastings East being kind of the the real hot area for the last few years, they're talking about the the f- number five and number four basically border Hastings East. Yeah, yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on Vancouver Heights? So the, obviously, that it's elevated land, you get amazing views to the west. Well, one thing to point out is the average home price seven hundred and fifty five thousand one hundred. A so, lot of a lot of people overlook it just because it's on the other side of boundary. You, the, well, and it has a Burnaby address. Ex- I was gonna say the Vancouver right Postal Code is is something that a lot of people surprise. Exactly, exactly. And you're right there. Like you might as it might as well be Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh but it is a Burnaby address and yeah. because of that I think it gets dismissed. The other thing yeah. that people don't look at is the is the area, the Heights, because there's a lot of great restaurants over there. It's it's yeah, it's a good strip of Hastings and a lot We're, of local like restaurants and stores and like specialty stores. Okay, so area number three, 
Hastings. So we're talking about Strathcona here. Like this area has been coming up for a while, but you still get good value there. What's the average home? Price the average there. home price is just over a million, million thirty six. Like I would buy and on, on Hastings so quickly well, and be, compared to some of these neighborhoods. Like ooh. the upswing's so great, and there's tons of developers well, yeah, going the in. Potential, to, yeah, the oh, developers yeah. going in. I mean, it's well. What they were potential. saying in the article, which makes a lot of sense, is one: you have a lot, you have strips that haven't been redeveloped that are at still all. at all, right? That, yeah, so you still yeah. have the old vacuum yeah. cleaner stores. You know, exactly. you still have the old and and a very expensive real estate. And which kind of gives the area its charm, but also suggests that there's a lot of potential for redevelopment. Yeah. And, and how close is it to downtown? It is, it's, it's like a five or seven minute drive. Um, if, if you're thinking kind of 10, 15 years out, I mean, this is where turn, you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> post viaducts. Yeah. I mean, and it, I'll tell you now, like right now, it is not the most pleasant neighborhood to be in, but this is but, the thing. Yeah. It's, Given yeah. the way Vancouver is going, well, it's not it's as polished as some areas. It's you know, yeah, it's, it's not right. But we, you know what, we take the. Uh, I, I live in Renfrew. We take the bike route down Adenac, yeah, through Strathcona, right through it. And right. There's a there's so many great little coffee yeah. shops and and kind of built into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. I love it over there. Yeah, it's so also, it makes sense. It's also one of the parts of Vancouver that still allows light industrial. Right. Right. And right. That's, that's a unique mm-hmm. thing about it. Like it, it will eventually cater to all of Vancouver with what what it can hold and and what can be developed out there. Yep. Um. It's it's a good spot to buy some land and hold on to. For sure. For sure. Didn't mm-hmm. uh, Chip Wilson just buy? It? Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was yep. Chip Wilson and. Uh, the Ani groups yep. in there. They bought out there. It, it, Obviously, uh, yeah. uh, Wall Financial, where Strathcona Village yep. is going yep. up. And they that, sold out quickly. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so the number two area, Brentwood Park, Burnaby. So that actually, to me, makes a lot of sense, especially if we're talking about the detached market. But the thing about Brentwood, so, and I, I think we've talked about this in other episodes, one, Burnaby has some excellent city planners, and they're they're doing, so they're, first of all, they're doing the redevelopment of Brentwood town center which is going to be phenomenal 250 uh new retail and restaurants in that yeah, and mall the amazing, it's going to be like a super the amazing mall. brentwood is going to come out of that beautiful and, uh, atriums everything yeah. else concord pacific has i think how many towers going up over there yeah, yeah there's, there's a, a lot few, yeah there's yeah. a lot so there's okay so there's that but then there's also I was, I was speaking to somebody down at the city a few months back they're also redeveloping. They're doing like an urban trail along Willingdon. Mm-hmm. So they're buying parcels of land along Willingdon, and they're going to connect Confederation Park all the way down to Brentwood Town Center with wow. this really nice walk, like green walking path where there's going to be little rest areas and parks. And I, I think that Burnaby is a really progressive, forward-thinking community. In, that's the type of type of planning where 25 30 years from now people are going to be looking back and uh and celebrating these planners the yeah, thing for and, sure and brentwood park um for many years has always been like a location for families to kind of grow and be and, and raise children exactly um, makes sense. and it, it's it's in a location where it's close to the highways it's close to vancouver uh it's close to a lot of things right yeah. there's a there's a reason why the realtors gave it a four and a half out of five really yeah there's yeah. got to be <laughs> and and the and sort of the average home price one point two five, one point two five. That sounds about right. 
Another note on Brentwood uh, Park, just because I got a lot of people that are living downtown in one bedrooms that that need a second bedroom and they can't maybe make it work in Vancouver. Prices are more attractive. Yeah, the condos in Brentwood are are very attractive to a lot of people. They want to be right on the SkyTrain line and they also want the space, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And you don't have to go as far as Surrey or Coquitlam. No bridges. Out there. Yeah, no bridges. You're right. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that far. Okay, number so one, the number one area, Ambleside. West I don't know Vancouver. if everybody agrees to this, but I think this is definitely number one. Really? In the article, uh, the average house price in this neighborhood is approximately $420,000 cheaper than in the surrounding areas. Yep. In West Vancouver. In West in West yeah. The realtor rating is four and a half out of five. It doesn't look like they gave anyone five. Four and a half. Four and a no perfect area. Is there no. a pocket that you guys think that aren't on the list? I, I think they actually hit uh, I've seen a lot of these lists before yeah. that that I don't think do an excellent job of kind of highlighting areas. They they go to the areas that seem to be kind of getting oh, the they've most already momentum. arrived. They've already yeah, arrived. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we should probably just get back to our interview with Dustin Woodhouse, yeah. member of the real estate action group. REIN network and also he's an author he's I think he's working on his second book doing this all the time while still being number 16 broker crazy CMP magazine and all around good guy so I'm really excited without further ado here's our interview with Dustin Woodhouse enjoy So we're here with Dustin Woodhouse from Dominion Lending Centers. How are you doing, Dustin? Not too bad, guys. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. So um, first of all, why don't you tell us who you are and, and what it is you do? Uh, well, I'm an independent mortgage broker. I've been for uh, eight years, going on nine, but uh, they've been a bit, little bit like dog years in the uh, amount of volume that I've worked through over those years. Right. Um, but you know the, the the biggest I guess difference between myself and uh, and somebody else that a client might be talking to about their mortgage is that as an independent agent I've got access to multiple lenders. So a lot of people will walk through the door and talk to the bank, and that's fine. But the person they're talking to really only has access to one set of solutions, the solutions of that one institution. Not right. Multiple, multiple, multiple institutions. Right, right. Yeah, I've I've been uh, explaining it to clients lately as uh, you're sort of the Expedia of if you're looking for a flight, right? It's like you can walk up to the Air Canada counter and and buy a flight, or you can you know go online and and type in to an aggregator and you know usually get a better product and a better price. Well, and 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 that's actually a good analogy because of course when you're booking a flight just like when you're trying to get a mortgage arranged, at first, price or rate is top of mind, but very quickly you realize, oh, hang on. Yeah, that's a great deal, but it's got four stopovers and it's going to take <laughs> exactly. me an extra 10 hours to get there. Um, so, right. yeah, that, that's a lot of... It's a very good analogy, actually, for what we do. It's, it's, I always say to clients, rate is number one on the list, but it's also number 10 on the list. There's eight other things that we should talk about and uh, usually by the time I'm on the second or third one, they're saying to me, nobody's ever told us this before. Right. That's, that's, that's where we like to try and add the value. So what are those, Some can you give us an example of one of those things in between? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, here, here's an interesting one. And I, I use this somewhat specifically worded sentence uh, with every single client that I work with at least once or twice in, in their initial conversations. And usually again, before the transaction's over, because it acts like a little bit of a combination lock to unlock the memory of the conversation 38 months later. Hmm. And so that, uh, that, that one little thing that a lot of people aren't expecting is this. Six out of 10 Canadians will break their mortgages. They'll break those mortgages at an average of 38 months, and they'll trigger a prepayment penalty they had no idea was coming. That term for that prepayment penalty is interest rate differential. And I won't bore you with a detailed explanation or the Byzantine calculation of how an interest rate differential penalty is calculated. And in fact, most representatives of the institutions, and it is the major banks and most credit unions that charge an interest rate differential penalty, would not be able to actually articulate the equation and they certainly couldn't articulate the reasoning for it. Suffice it to say that we see currently uh, that penalty equaling 45 to 6% recently. We've had a couple at 6% of the mortgage balance. So the average mortgage balance in British Columbia, contrary to a lot of misconceptions, is actually only $300,000. But if you apply that basic math of 4.5% to a $300,000 mortgage, you're talking about a $14,000 penalty. Now, there's a number of other mortgage products and other lenders who will put, uh, who will offer a product that is only a three-month interest penalty ever. Mm-hmm. And a three-month interest penalty mathematically is about a half a percent of the mortgage balance, so about $1,500 on that $300,000 mortgage. The biggest culprit is five-year fixed from a major chartered bank. So although two out of three of my clients wind up with a major chartered bank, the majority of my clients wind up either in a variable rate mortgage or currently a two-year fixed. I mean, the two-year fixed is a phenomenal product, well worth looking at right now. And it does not contain that monster penalty inside it. And and as I say to clients, you know, most of them are thinking, well, I'm not going to break my mortgage. I say, hey, my office is based in the head office of a lawyer's office, a real estate conveyance office. And if you stop the next 10 people at the door who just signed their paperwork today and said, any chance you're going to break your mortgage in the next five years, 10 out of 10 will say, no way, not me. And six of them will be wrong. Right. So when, when should a potential buyer actually contact you then? Like in as what soon stage as you're of the thinking process? about buying something. Okay. I mean, I, I usually suggest to clients, um, you know, well, pardon me, I shouldn't say I suggest to them, but I mean, I'm finding more and more clients are calling me before they've actually even spoken with a realtor. Um, certainly the majority of realtors want their client to get pre-approved before they start taking them out and showing them properties because, I mean, ultimately, you really want to know how much mortgage money you qualify for, what those payments look like, and really a pre-approval is something that there's different degrees of pre-approval. Uh, with our clients, we always like to pull up a current credit report. It does not have uh, that big of an impact on somebody's credit score as they might think. It's, it's a very, very worthwhile 
step. Nothing like going and, you know, looking at 40 or 50 homes, finding the right one, dealing in the environment we're in with multiple offers, winning the bid, you've got a place, and then your credit gets pulled up. And true story, um, phenomenal client, 11 unpaid parking tickets. Now, how could this be? I mean, this is a, a, a very successful businessman, you know, just a, a wonderful applicant in every way. How did he have 11 unpaid parking tickets? Well, he had them because his son was doing a wonderful job of getting up first thing every morning and running down to the mailbox and getting the mail every morning for them and plucking out all the parking tickets that he had gotten in dad's car. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, we, we fixed that, you know, we managed to solve that problem primarily because there was a long completion date. We had about 90 days to complete the purchase, so that gave us time to fix the credit report and deal with the parking tickets. But like I say, it's those little things that you're not expecting. You really want to get out ahead and, and have a detailed approval. So same thing with you know, getting a complete documents package and reviewing all those documents in advance of writing an offer for a client just to make sure the little things are addressed. So you know, get, well, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, so getting a pre-approval means that you're basically getting the paperwork together. A, a true pre-approval would involve, you know, you submitting pay stubs, a recent notice of assessment to confirm no taxes owing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And what about rate holds? Well, that's, kind of the, the key word that people confuse with pre-approval. You know, oh, I've been to my branch and I'm pre-approved. Well, did they pull up a credit report? No. Did they ask for any documents? No. So they took your word for everything, punched it in, told you how much money you qualify for, and have put a rate in. Did you explain to them what area in town you were looking for properties? Well, not exactly. Did you put in, like, do you know how much they put in for property tax and strata fee? Oh, no, I don't, I'm not sure. And a lot of times, uh, representatives will build a pre-approval and forget to put property tax or strata fees in, which are very important. I mean, in Pitt Meadows, property taxes are extremely high. And the property taxes can actually cut your mortgage approval back by $50,000. Right. And same thing when you get into certain stratas where, you know, like, the good old days, strata fees were typically $150. Well, there's lots of buildings out there now with $300, $400, $500 a month strata fees. And the simple math, every $100 a month worth of strata fee cancels out $25,000 worth of mortgage money. Hmm. So detail, detail, detail. You really want to you know, get right into all of those things. So, so if... Y- in this market, obviously, we've t- spoken quite a bit about this. Uh, a lot of people are going in subject-free. It's just the nature of the, the market right now. It's so competitive. If you're pre-approved, does that mean you have uh, carte blanche to go in subject-free? Not at all. <laughs> and uh, in our office, on average, we're dealing with one or two clients a month, uh, more some months, who have gone to their branch, been told they're pre-approved for X dollar amount, gone out, written an offer on a property subject free, then gone back into that lender and been told, no, sorry, you don't qualify. And it's either property taxes, strata fees that have kicked in and 
created a variation. It's a wrinkle in their credit report. It's a variation in their income that they didn't uh, disclose. Uh, like, well, I won't get into the detail there, but there are there are variations that, that matter there. Or it's something to do with the property. And that's probably the biggest thing that we see is, you know, clients don't understand that they can be platinum plated. You know, the lender wants to give them the money, but the property matters as well. And so there's any number of things that can arise in a property disclosure statement. You know, detached houses, one of the more common ones we see is vermiculite insulation, aluminum wiring, uh, you know, asbestos in the property. Like any of those things will basically cause a lender to reject the application. And it's not about whether you're going to fix it once you buy it. It's not about what will be. It's all about what is. So if that property contains those things right now, the lender will not lend on it. Period. The end. And if you're in a subject-free contract, the seller's not going to bother to spend the money to fix things. The seller may not even give you access to the property to fix those things. You may not have budgeted to remedy those things because some of those things are you know, potentially tens of thousands of dollars to remedy. Uh, so, you know, as I say, the property really matters. And of course, in the case of strata properties, it's all about that form B. You know, is there uh, pending litigation? Is the property undergoing a major renovation? And of course, anytime the word membrane, water, or leak appears right. in the property disclosure statement of a strata property, you've got problems. Yeah, you know what? I There was a story not long ago about a client who, who removed subjects on a downtown condo that had been rain screened, but the and the scaffolding was all but down except for... Uh, they didn't have the certificate of completion yet, and right. that that was uh, a major uh, issue when they when the, actually they the lender that they thought they were good with rejected them, and they had to uh, scramble, which uh, which is obviously a very stressful situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, I I know uh, I'm down basically to one lender that I can send a strata property to that does not have a certificate of completion for work that is underway. One lender. Wow. Out of, you know, 30 plus. The rest of them, no chance they'll finance that property. So we're in a situation here where buyers, in some cases, almost have to go subject-free to be competitive. So what are the steps, basically, to write a subject-free offer, something that's not conditional based on financing? Well, I'll give you the secret recipe. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and any clients who take this recipe and call their broker or their banker may get told, no, that can't be done. Uh, it, it can be done, but only a certain number of times before it can't be done. And so typically what you're seeing is the property hits the MLS Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, They've got showings Saturday, Sunday. They allow for inspections on Monday, and they're accepting offers Tuesday night. That sort of seems to be the rhythm that we've gotten into, and, and that's a great rhythm from a broker's perspective because that gives me a heads up on Thursday, Friday. They're interested in the property. So I'll pull the MLS up, again, the actual property tax, the actual strata fees, if applicable, and I can say, yeah, 
we're, we're, we're in the zone, you know, the numbers work. Now ask for the property disclosure statement, get that for us. And, and again, a lot of listing agents are, are really uh, on the ball now. And so we've got property disclosure statement, uh, Stratiform Bs, AGM minutes, like all of those documents are, are available and ready to go. And frankly, they need to be. Like you don't go subject free on a property that you don't have AGM minutes and a form B for because right. anything could be lurking in those documents. And if they review it on the weekend and it looks like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go on this property, then I will take their maximum price, build the whole file up. I've got all their documents, job letter, pay stub, notice of assessment, I've got the property disclosure statement, I've got every document except an accepted offer. And I can submit that entire package to a lender for review and approval Monday morning and get an approval back on Monday afternoon. So the, technically they're they're done. So their their financing is, is sorted before they write the offer essentially. Exactly. How do we deal with uh, the other thing that I'm seeing a lot is the appraisal that comes in after the accepted offer or after the purchase, if somebody goes in subject free? Well, normally I'm advising uh, that we make sure we've got um, condition to, you know, an appraisal, but a provision allowing access for an appraiser. Right. Um, Because, the appraisal matters. Now, a lot of times, if it's an owner-occupied purchase, it's under $750,000, uh, an appraisal won't be triggered. Um, if it's over seven fifty, dollars an appraisal will be triggered 100% of the time, in, in my experience. And, uh, and if it's in a strata older than eight years, typically, an appraisal gets triggered. And, and those are instances where uh, 20% down or greater is in play in high ratio financing. So where they're putting less than 20% down, which of course you can only go to a maximum purchase price of one penny less than $1 million with less than 20% down. Right. Uh, you may not get an appraisal in those instances, although the insurers are ordering their own appraisals. And so it's not, not a guarantee that just because they're putting less than 20% down an appraisal won't be required it very well could be required and the insurers are slow moving. So it could be three, four days later when you're suddenly being triggered uh, with this condition for an appraisal. So okay, very important when you're going in subject free that you still have a clause in there allowing access for an appraiser. Technically the seller doesn't have to give you access after you've right. got your contract in place, right? Well, here's a scenario. So what if somebody writes, say, the property is listed at five ninety nine, there's seven, eight offers, and somebody offers seven hundred thousand, the appraisal comes in at six seventy five. What kind of situation are we dealing with there? Luckily that's a somewhat rare situation. Appraisals seem to be staying on top of uh of market values. And right. there's there's enough activity. You know, there were three or four other units within a block or two that also sold at a similar price uh, within the last few weeks that the appraiser has comparables. Uh, You've always got to be concerned that you're setting the new high water mark, that you are breaking new ground and paying a a new elevated premium for a property. 
And in the example you just gave, where the appraisal comes in at 675, the contract says 700, what's happening there? Well, that client is going to have to come up with $25,000 cash in a to their down payment. So again, subject-free offers for buyers of limited resources, i.e. 5% down, you got to be very, very cautious. You want to know they've got backup resources because they don't have an extra 25000 to put down potentially. Mm-hmm. And clients just hitting 20%. You got to have that conversation with them too because if they're coming up $25,000 short of hitting 20%, now they're triggering a CMHC mortgage premium. Their amortization is no longer 30 years, it's 25 years, and the qualification criteria changes completely. And uh, so it is a valid concern. As I say, fortunately, it's something that we don't really come across very often at all. Like over 200 files last year, pardon me, about 140 purchases I worked on last year. The appraisal came in below purchase price, I believe, Wow! out of 140. And it was a small margin in one. It was like you know, six or $7,000. Right. Uh, the other one was more serious. It was it was six-figure gap that had to be bridged. Luckily, it was a client with the abilities uh, to bridge that gap and the desire to bridge that gap. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, so, yeah, maybe we'll switch gears a little bit here. Uh, in, in your blog post, you, you talk about how uh, the, the mortgage market is is always changing and you, you outline a couple different ways uh, that it's changing. One is, is government policy that seems to get uh, the most media attention. And I was curious to hear your thoughts on uh, the new liberal government's attempt to cool the, the real estate market here in Vancouver and also in Toronto by changing the requirements um, between uh, financing from 500000 to a million. And there's just, uh, you know, Adam and I definitely have uh, opinions on how that's impacted the market here. But considering February 15th is is the day that uh, the change takes place, I was wondering how, how you think that's going to impact the market. Uh, well, you know what, before I answer that question, let me touch on one other thing as far as guidelines and policy changes that sort of into an earlier answer I gave you. And, and that's that lenders often create their internal guidelines and policies, and a number of lenders now will not review a purchase file without a complete accepted contract in their hands. So that little recipe I gave you for going jet-free, it works with fewer and fewer lenders because, of course, they're trying to their own efficiencies. They don't want to be underwriting a file for 11 different people who are all bidding the same property. They don't have the time for that Mm -hmm. either. Everybody in this business is pressed for time just because of the nonstop increase in volumes month over month. Every, you know, in every month we hear, uh, you know, new, new, uh, new high watermark over and above the year average consistently. So, so there are lots of little policies that aren't announced. Um, as far as the bigger ones that are, um, I mean, the liberal government is certainly, under some pressure. I mean, I think all levels of government, uh, municipal, provincial, and federal, are under some pressure to try and take steps to cool the market. Um, And I think 
they're trying to do things that optically look like prudent steps, um, but aren't actually going to have significant material impacts on the market because let's face I mean, the majority of Canadians are homeowners and the majority of homeowners are voters and the majority of homeowners really don't want to see 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of the value uh, wiped out of their home uh, through some new government regulation. And, you know, when I'm asked what the biggest danger to the real estate market is in Canada, I always say government over-regulation. Mm-hmm. You know, the the market itself, um, yeah, as I say, that that's probably the, the single biggest uh, danger for existing homeowners uh, as far as their value goes is some kind of government regulation that negatively impacts that. And so to that end, the increase in down payment between 500000 and a $1 million, you know, that plays really well across the country. You know, you, you know the, the broad voter base will support that because really, who is that really impacting? It's impacting Toronto and Vancouver and to a lesser extent, Calgary. So it, it's impacting three cities in the entire country. So the national voter base can say, yeah, I mean, who needs to live in a house between 500 and a million and you should be putting more than 5% down when you're buying that home. That's easy for them to say uh, outside of the market. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, we're on the front lines inside this, this market and, you know, we see that uh, applicants actually have very strong incomes. They have excellent credit and, you know, frankly, saving up $50,000 plus other expenses, so arguably saving up $60,000, $65,000 to put 5% down on a million-dollar purchase, is it, it takes some discipline. I mean, that is generally a disciplined individual that's done that. Right. Um, but the government has taken these steps to increase the down payment. But again, it's a sliding-scale increase, so it's a very graduated increase. And um, presumably, people purchasing at the higher end of the market will be able to access the additional money. I believe the metrics I've seen are that it will impact uh, somewhere between two and four percent of clients overall. Right. right. So, so your general impression is the market. You know, February sixteenth, there's not going to be a, 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 a cooling. <laughs> Yeah, that's not, uh, you know, for, for people who there's a bubble, and I'm not, not one of them, um, but that that bit of legislation is certainly not uh, going to be the pinprick that bursts uh, the perceived <laughs> bubble. Yeah, I mean, Adam and I work with a lot of people, too, uh, it, that are looking in that, in that you know, that large bracket between 500 and a million, and, and there's very few of them that, that, at least that we come across, I think, or at least that I come across that, that, put that aren't putting, five. yeah, that aren't putting down 10%. Yeah, 10% at least, and a lot of people obviously are putting down 20% to avoid the CMHC, right? Yeah, well, I mean, people have to keep in mind, we're on the cusp of the greatest transfer in history. You know, the, the, the current grandparents and parents or great-grandparents, grandparents and parents, for the most part, uh, they are the wealthiest generation, uh, wealthiest mass populace ever in history. Mm-hmm. And there's an awful lot of people, especially in Vancouver. I mean, my own grandma, when she moved out of her home, I mean, 
it had risen to well over a million dollars in value. And she was 101, so it wasn't, you know, an amazing sharp increase that she benefited from <laughs> per se. <laughs> um, but she's, you know, she's, she's still, uh, still uh, living in a, in a home quite comfortably now, um, thanks to that increase in wealth. Wow. And so for her to say, you know, hey, you know, grandkids, great grandkids, let me help you with a down payment. Uh, she would be in a position to do that, right? Exactly. Qu- quick question: How old is she now? <laughs> She's 102 now. Okay, she good. Has attacked. So, yeah. I thought I thought we were talking t- a decade ago, maybe or something. <laughs> no, actually. So that, there's another little myth we can bust uh, while we're speaking here. So the, the the myth of downsizing. You know, all due respect to David Foote and his uh, book Boom, Bust, and Echo that talked about suburban ghettos of McMansions that would beat all the for pennies on the dollar. Um, people don't want to leave their home. My parents are in their 70s. They've been looking at moving for 15 years. They haven't pulled the trigger yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll probably look for 15 and then maybe they'll do something. Um, but uh, yeah, my one grandmother downsized at 101. Um, my other grandmother, she downsized as well at the age of 84. Wow. So, sure, I guess people will downsize, but not until they really, really yeah. are forced to. <laughs> exactly. Well, you've got good genetics anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, cer- certainly the ladies in our family do, that's for sure, yeah. So, so Dustin, how can people reach you? Uh, to be honest with you, as far as clients uh, go, I work by referral only. Okay. So they can reach me through you guys. Excellent. Um, but no, I mean, I certainly have a website, and if you type Dustin Woodhouse into Google, there's 15 different ways to, to contact me, whether it's through LinkedIn, the website, et cetera. Perfect. My email address and phone number are on my website. Not, I'm not a hard guy to track down, but as I say, I pretty well strictly at this point work with clients who've been referred to me. Excellent. Well, okay. thanks a lot for your time. And uh, yeah. 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 Thanks, Dustin. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thank you. Okay. okay. Take care. So there you have it. Yeah, that was. Uh, did you I find learned, that informative? I learned, I learned a lot. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully some of the listeners did as well. Anyways, if you have any questions or concerns for us, uh, please do contact. Where, where can people people reach you, Matt? Yeah, you can give me a shout at seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or at matt at scalinarealestate.com. Or you can reach me at 778-866-4574 or adam at scalinarealestate.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and go to iTunes and rate us and also subscribe. Uh, We're going to have a lot of interesting episodes coming up focused on the city of Vancouver and real estate in Vancouver in general, and uh, hopefully a lot to look forward to. Yeah. So uh, tune in next time, and thanks uh... thanks for listening. This has been the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast with Adam and Matt Scalina. Contact us anytime at 778-866-4574 or 778-847-2854 or online at www.scalinarealestate.com. Subscribe today.